0: And now it's time for News With My Dad. the where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the line, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad. The star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing?
1: I, I found myself last night dealing, dealing with almost despair at what is going on. And I know we, we, we've got to keep fighting.
0: The thing I'm guessing caused you to spare was well I shouldn't just guess I, I, well I'll guess but I shouldn't assume my guess is right. Uh, was it the president's remarks that he would not commit to a peaceful transition of
1: power? That's part of it. This and, is the, sh- and the fact that there are no no there's nobody, nobody on the Republican side of the aisle speaking up about it. nobody. This is a sh- Mitt Romney saying yeah he's gonna, he's gonna join the hit the hypocrites. Um oh boy.
0: This is a show we talk about the news. We don't just list the news, we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff when it's unimportant. We try to say so we take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn pop. Do you have a shout out?
1: I have a shout out. I'm shouting out this morning for Adams Hollingsworth, who is also known as as the dreadhead cowboy who mounted his horse and rode his horse down the Dan Ryan Parkway in Chicago to call attention to the need for people to get registered in the census and calling attention to how important the census is. Like on a real horse? A real horse. Like Paul Revere's ride? And he kept riding until he got arrested because, of course, it did tend to slow down traffic since it was a peak traffic time.
0: I thought riding horses was still legal on city streets.
1: Well, apparently not on the Dan Ryan Parkway.
0: Dan Ryan, no relation, I suspect, to the city councilor-elect. Well, Dad, is that? do you have any other shout-outs? Nope, that's
1: my only shout-out. That, that, that is
0: dude. impressive, Dad. I, I, I don't know what to do with myself when there is only one shout-out, but I uh, will manage... Where do you want to start? Yeah, here's I, I,
1: wa- I, wa- I want to start. I want to talk about Breonna Taylor. But before that, I want to acknowledge the passing of Gail Sayer. Sayers, who, in addition to being one of the most astounding runners that ever lived, was a really good human being. and uh, Gail Sayers has gone at age 77.
0: Gail Sayers, the subject of one of the very first books I ever read. Mom oh, would, really? Yeah, Mom would take me to the library, and I'd have to go pick a book. And the books that I picked almost always, because I didn't have the attention span for some long book, and I wouldn't that go to read. You know, when I was a real little kid, you know, I wasn't ready to read a bunch of stuff. So I would get these sports books, and I really liked them. And one of my very first ones was Gale Sayers. And what I do remember uh, was uh, he was a, played for played for Kansas, went to the U- University of Kansas, of course, played for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, his his friendship with Brian Piccolo was the subject of br- the the made for TV movie Brian's Song. Uh, and Gale Sayers, one of the greatest runners of all great running backs of all time, would have been had an even more impressive career had he not uh, suffered from injuries in his from knee injuries, as I recall. Anyway, yep. yeah, Gale Sayers, NFL legend. Hopefully, he avoided concussions. But Pop, yeah, we got to talk about Breonna Taylor. Grand jury charged one of the three officers involved in Breonna Taylor's death with three counts of wanton endangerment. The charges were for firing recklessly and endangering neighbors and surrounding apartments. No officers were charged directly with her death. An officer charged was released from jail on Wednesday after posting a bond of $15,000, which is not a big bond as bonds go. The Attorney General spoke at a press briefing addressed why there will be no further charges in Brianna Taylor's case. Here's an excerpt from the Kentucky Attorney General's Talk. Criminal homicide encompasses the taking of a life by another. While there are six possible homicide
1: charges under Kentucky law, these charges are not applicable to the facts before us because our investigation showed and the grand jury agreed that Mattingly
0: and Cosgrove were justified in the return of deadly fire. This justification bars us from pursuing criminal charges in Miss Brianna Taylor's death. The truth is now before us. The facts have been examined, and a grand jury comprised of our peers and fellow citizens has made a decision. Well, Dad, does the outcome of this case suggest to you that officers above the law, is there more or more facts that uh, you think that people didn't see during that? Right now, you got in Louisville, you got people raging around the country. You've got people seeing this as yet one more example of a black person getting killed and not seeing appropriate accountability what say you
1: I I, I this is something that I've, I've been thinking a great deal about and, and I'm relying a lot of, on my experiences having served as a, an elected district attorney and I and I have to say and I know there's some people who are going to be horrified when they hear me say this but oh, I have no. to say I, I I believe that the Attorney General is right that the officers were not guilty of a crime but that doesn't mean that there is not a crime that has been committed and the crime which is not not something that is punishable by putting anybody in jail but is something that is absolutely demands to be recognized and addressed and changed, is the system and let me explain the first there is a law in Kentucky that says it is okay to issue no knock warrants why is that well the, the history for that they're all over the country and and courts have upheld those and the reason for that is almost exclusively because of drug laws which they say if we knock and say we're the police and wait to be let in or even if we knock and say we're the police and wait a few seconds, they're going to flush the stuff down the toilet. So we have to get in before they have time to do that. So here, here is, near as I can tell, what happened. First, I I doubt very much that the cops actually said this is the police, or if they did, I'll bet they said it not before but simultaneously, contemporaneously with breaking down the door and doing that is legal under the law of that state and has been okayed by the courts there is in there a man who has a gun legally and he is in his residence and he has a right to defend his residence and he hears somebody breaking in, and fires a shot. And apparently, the shot was a warning shot, not aimed at the door, but aimed at the floor or some, some to let the intruders know that he was prepared to defend himself. Again, clearly, clearly, particularly under under the law as interpreted by Justice Scalia he He was within his rights to do that. somebody's breaking into his clothes. He has a right to defend himself and and by firing a warning morning shot. So where do you have to look at at where where we have to address? We have to address the system that first starts out with the absolute stupidity and futility of all those drug laws which have have impinged upon and and afflicted the right of american citizens to be at peace within their own homes within their close as it was referred to in ancient british law the the diminution of the rights against unlawful searches and seizures unreasonable searches and seizures that has happened because of the drug laws the the no knock laws that say that's okay and the, the system, and, and the system that allowed that warrant to be issued, which it turns out was completely based on bogus allegations of fact. And, and so the, the officers were, they, they had a warrant, they were told to exercise the warrant, they were told to break in without, without getting permission to break in, all of which was legal under the law, and as they broke in, somebody fired a gun that they had every legitimate reason to believe meant that there was somebody in there was a gun that was prepared to kill them, and so they have the right to shoot back. We have to address the system because the system is just so stupid.
0: Well, I appreciate that take, Pop. Uh, Let's move on to coronavirus. Johnson & Johnson has begun a large phase 3 trial of the coronavirus or a coronavirus vaccine.
1: Yeah, and it's a one-shot.
0: In order to get into a phase 3 clinical trial, this is actually something I'm studying right now uh, at at, an online course through through Cal Berkeley, but to get into a phase 3 trial, you've already had to pass preclinical And non-clinical studies, that means in vitro and in vivo, that means in animals and in test tubes, in reverse order, respectively. It also means you have to get through phase one, which is usually about, you know, let's call it 30 to 100 people. Uh, And you've got to, during that, usually healthy subjects, you've got to, during that phase, show that it is safe. Uh, and then you move into phase two where you continue to track safety, but particularly there, you're looking to see if it's effective. to get into phase three, to get your, your file your NDA with the FDA to file your new drug application, you have to uh, have demonstrated that it is safe and effective already in those, first two phases and then what you're we looking at is and, the, the, and the, the side effects aren't so obviously horrible that people shouldn't even touch this thing so to get into phase three clinical trials that's sort of a big deal and that phase three trial is going to enroll 60,000 participants uh, and, and now there are four vaccines in the United States to enter stage three uh, pop what are we uh, uh, is this giving you hope what, what else do you know
1: well as, as i said one of the most significant things about this is that they this is a one shot what, what i mean by one shot is you only have to get one shot whereas apparently the other the other trials that are are moving along require two shots uh, spaced several days apart the uh, uh, they have to find the 60,000 and that that takes a substantial amount of time, then they have to wait to see how the sixty thousand turn out. What what it underlines is the is the inanity of what DDT keeps saying is that we're liable to have a vaccine before the election, or even before the end of the year. There, there just is no way, assuming assuming that it turns out well and and that it gets the the 60% success that apparently is the threshold that most experts think is necessary for one to really be efficacious, you're, you're still looking at having to get it out to the country, and ain't, ain't, ain't gonna happen before next spring. I
0: don't. Yeah, I don't know the time. I'm fascinated by the timeline. This is record time, and I am I am so appreciative of the people who've been investing time and energy to try to work on a vaccine. It is typically it takes a year to four years to get just through phase three. Now, even if they're going to do, uh, and they're going to go faster, and it sounds like they're going to go faster than a year, and one thing they've been doing, of course, is also getting their delivery mechanisms ready so as soon as they get, uh, and manufacturing mechanisms ready, so as soon as they get approval, it'll be ready to fill those capsules, to get into those syringes, to get into those bottles and move out quickly. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I'll say, I am, uh, I am not... I don't want to treat the election as an important timeline for the vaccine, right? To me, though, they should be independent questions, right? Because a president isn't going to invent a vaccine. A president can get in the way of communicating with people in the country that the that there is an important virus that they should do. They should follow the CDC guidelines that they should do social distancing. That They should wash their hands, that they should wear masks. That they should be outdoors more than indoors those basic reminders that stuff really matters and having a president who believes in science who believes in the importance of human beings lives that really matters but when we're talking about the science i you know i want a little bit of separation of church and state there i want to make sure that we say okay we want a vaccine as fast as we can get it and not even you know—it's election day it's not even an important thing but i recognize it's an important thing but not relative to the vaccine but of course i know that i'm being naive
1: your your brother asked me last night is asked me if a vaccine is is produced, will I take it? And my answer was if it is offered in the next forty five days, I would absolutely not, because I would have no <laughs> trust in it. If however it is offered as early as next spring and all the scientists say, Yeah, it looks like it's good then definitely yes I would. But I am not about to take a vaccine that I think has been rushed to market because of somebody wanting to stay in the White House.
0: So you you are a partisan participant in the clinical trial. You are a partisan vaccine taker. All right, Pop. I think I'm agnostic on the question, at least in public. If I, if somebody had said to me two weeks ago, hey, hey, Jeff, I got I got extra doses of that Russian vaccine. You want to give it a crack? I would have said no. I <laughs> said, no, man, take that, on. take that on down the road, bro. I don't need, I don't need your booting vaccine. Let's do something else other than that." Uh, well, Bob. Well,
1: it, while we're talking about COVID, go ahead. Winter is coming, and there's some real fear. that problems. Winter may bring some real spikes. The around the world, uh, lots of places where it's getting worse. Poland getting worse. Iran getting worse. Boris Johnson shutting down Great Britain. Because it's getting worse, the where where it, some of the best work that's being done, interestingly, is in Africa. Africa has uh, African countries have done a remarkable job in in shutting down. Partly, probably because of their experience with Ebola, and it gives them a head start in in uh, both in knowing what needs to be done and also in the populace realizing, yeah, we really have to do something about this. Dogs in, in Helsinki in Finland, dogs are being used at the airport to sniff people. what people come in, they, they have to run a wipe across their neck and put it in a container. and The dog sniffs it, and they say that they're just about 100% accurate in finding the virus by the dogs. They, they go ahead with a further test to make sure the dogs are right. But uh, but that's a very very intriguing development. Israel is going into a lockdown. Uh, the and of course we all know that we passed the two hundred thousand probably today passed the two hundred one thousand dollar not num, dollar number of deaths from the virus. All the time of which DGT is saying, what a wonderful job we're doing with five percent of the world's population and a quarter of the world's Deaths, and we're, we're a long way from out of the woods. We got
0: a text in from Aileen. Hello, Aileen. Hi. I'm very upset that Biden is running no campaign. Why aren't Democrats having a huge press conference right now regarding Trump openly stating he will not leave office? Uh, if the Democrats, she has a bunch of stuff. Aileen has a bunch of stuff. I thought would be one thing. It's three things. The Democrats right now boycott Congress, could the Republicans still install a new Supreme Court justice? Uh, let's take that last one first. Uh, I don't think. I don't think. Well, when I was looking at the list of things that could be done, I did not see. Uh, I did not see a boycott as one of those. I did see that they can. Uh, I did say that they can gum up the works through. Uh, because the chamber largely runs on unanimous consent, they could object to everything else McConnell wants to do. Uh, forcing anybody who's up for re-election to spend additional time casting those procedural votes, meaning they have to get back to Washington D.C. and not, you know, Lindsey Graham can't be in South Carolina campaigning. Uh, the the Democrats have typically gone along with unanimous consent agreements. Uh, of course, if you stop any degree of congeniality, there is, you know, is a, a, there will be a tat for that tit, uh, for sure but the uh, but recognize that this might be, in, in so many Americans' minds, that this could be worth it. Uh, you could also seek to enforce Senate rules that bar committees from meeting past the first two hours of a day, and you could object to all kinds of routine business, from naming of post offices to declarations of holidays to whatever else. That could also slow things down. Somebody else proposed uh, the... Uh, moving forward on articles of impeachment against bill barr that would compel the u.s senate to hold a trial and it has not very many days left on the calendar to confirm a replacement for ginsburg so those are the things that i have uh, those are the things i have read and i have seen not a i have not seen that just a boycott that just pulling out the cots because there were procedural rule changes on uh, for judicial appointments, changing what the filibuster could do, for instance. But Dad, what am I missing? What's your thought on that question?
1: Well, the, the thing that I w- want a, an expert to tell me is: back in the olden days, a filibuster was really a filibuster. What it meant was that a minority could keep the Senate from voting by simply keeping the Senate in session and talking and the way it worked was a, a uh, member would get the floor and would talk until he or she except it was always a he because i don't think Margaret Chase smith ever participated in a filibuster and she was the only woman in the senate that would talk until he ran out of gas and then he would yield to another like-minded senator who would proceed to talk who would then yield to another, and they would just keep it going 24/7. And and what I don't understand, and we really need an expert to tell us, is doesn't that still exist? In other words, if they were willing to bring in the cots, and that's what they would do, they would bring in the cots, and they would, and, and the senators would just sleep in in the cloakrooms off the floor. And uh, one one really funny story was Wayne Morse when they were fighting a sil- one of the filibusters on civil rights legislation, and he, he woke up and found that senators were tying his shoes together, his shoelaces together, because they couldn't get over his ability to go to sleep. But anyway, why they couldn't do that, and we need to get somebody from Wine's office or Merkley's office or somewhere to tell us why they couldn't still do that.
0: The other here is why aren't Democrats having huge press conference right now regarding Trump openly stating he will not leave office? This is a good question. The uh, what are the best moves right now? And and this is this I'm going to decry something as well, because often what I will say there's one talking point that I'm kind of sick of, and this is a little bit adjacent to that, but it's not the same thing. And I do want to give this its just due, and that is oh, why aren't Democrats speaking out about blank? And my response: Listen, it's not like. What do you want them to say? Where do you want them to say it? It is mostly what you're witnessing. If what you think is silence is the lack of a propaganda machine, the scale of the right-wing radio network, and the scale of Fox News. And don't give me SMBC, MSNBC. MSNBC is not an equivalency. Uh, the uh, but in this instance, so you have to sort of figure out like when is the time you call everybody Washington and the go shoulder shoulder and call a press conference? Then who who like pays attention to that that press conference. And is that the best media move? And it's a good question. I do think in this instance, this is an opportunity. I think, Aileen, I think you're right. I think this is an opportunity to sound the loud scale alarms. This uh, my wife was visibly alarmed last night uh, that we had a president who was uh, sending and making threats to send troops out to Louisville. And at the same time saying he was going to pack the court and at the same time saying the reason he needed to pack the court was because the ballots are bad. We had to get rid of the ballots. All I do is get rid of the ballots. Sounds sounds preciously close to getting rid of voting. And then we uh, and that he would not consent or concede to committing to a peaceful transition of power. I mean, that you link those things together. And yeah, it sounds. It is hard to know what an openly fascist president would say that was particularly different than that. All sorts of people other countries say, "Wait a minute! By the way, I, I lived in Venezuela. I've lived in this, you know in other countries, and our president don't think it's you're immune to it." That's what our president sounded like too. So it does make me really nervous. My, uh, it does make me really nervous. I do think this is a place where the big alarms merit going off. Dad, what do you think?
1: Well, how much of this is limited to the Oval Office, and how much of it is actually permeating the Republican establishment is the scary thing because the the fact of their, their the crowing that is going on because the consent decree that was entered into years ago limiting the ability of goons, sometimes in uniform, to intimidate people at the polls has expired, and there is apparently a real move to get a whole lot of Republican folks to go to the polls with the really unstated but clear purpose of intimidating people from voting, keeping people from voting. One of the things to watch is that if any state legislature presently in session or called itself into session in a state that is historically recently red but moving to purple and possibly capable of turning blue in the six weeks um, in the presidential election, changing the state law on who chooses the electors because they could do that. The the Constitution gives the state the power to decide how electors are chosen, and they could decide that the electors are not going to be chosen by vote of the people. It's going to be chosen by vote of the legislature, and a Republican-dominated legislature could, therefore, say, we are going to elect the electors, and Guess what? We're going to elect electors who vote for Donald Trump, regardless of what the vote turns out to be, in the on the 3rd of November. That's the thing. That's something to really keep our eye on.
0: I, I got to bring this up, or rather, I've got to say more about what you said. The consent decree. This will be for 40 years, and I'm getting this from Business Insider. Uh, for nearly 40 years, the Republican National Committee was barred from engaging in voter intimidation tactics, a.k.a. ballot security measures like paying law enforcement officers to show up at polling places and try to scare voters of color, for instance, or anybody who might have a warrant, or anybody who might have a friend that might have a warrant, or anybody who's just made nervous by having a police officer around. But in 2018, that 40-year bar got, a federal judge lifted that 40-year bar, ending that 1982 consent decree. So now they can, in fact, play pay uh, off duty police officers to show up and, uh, and I think in uniform to uh, intimidate voters under the auspices of voter security. Uh, but to be clear, it is not security that is the primary impact of that conduct, which is why there was the lawsuit that led to that consent decree. And let us do talk about other election news, including following up, because we've got to use our outside voices on occasion also. One of my great frustrations about so much of nonprofit uh, radio is this idea that even if people are being put in work camps, we have to keep our same voice. People are put in work camps today, and therefore... There were those who said it was a problem, and other people said it was a good thing to have people in work camps. At some point, we've got to be willing to use our outside voices. And it is not okay for a president not to concede and consent to a transition of power that is peaceful. That is the key thing of having a democracy. Here is the clip when asked the question during the White House news briefing. Here is the current president
1: of the United States. Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. I understand and, that, but and, people are rioting. Do you uh, commit to making sure that there's a no, peaceful transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a, very trans- we'll have a very peaceful... There won't be a transfer, frankly.
0: There'll be a continuation. Get rid of the ballots, and there'll be a continuation of power. Yeah, that's how it works. That's true. If there are no ballots... Then whoever happens to be wielding the military gets to stay wielding the military. That's actually why you have ballots, to make sure you still want that to happen.
1: Election news. Chris Ray, boss of the FBI, says Russia is at it again, and there's clearly going after Biden. The John Carr, former uh, administrator for the Catholic Bishop, Bishop Conference, has come out saying you got to vote for Biden which is interesting when, because a Catholic priest, also endorsed by a Catholic bishop, has said that anybody who votes for Biden is going to hell. John Brennan has named names and is willing to say we've got to do something about Trump. Dan Coats is not willing to use his, his name, but came out with a statement that if you look at it carefully, is clearly saying we've got to do it another direction. Scientific American, after 175 years of never endorsing a candidate, has felt so strongly that they have endorsed Biden. The uh, Pendleton Supreme Court has ruled that they can continue to count ballots all the way till the Friday after election, and that drop boxes... Which Supreme Court ruled this? Pennsylvania. Oh, I
0: thought you said Pendleton. My bad. Go on. Oh,
1: no. Pennsylvania. (laughs) Pendleton would be interesting. The... uh, the FEC, Federal Election Commission Chair, J- James Trainer has said that church endorsements really ought to be okay. He has called the separation of church and state a fallacy, relying on DDT's direction that they are not supposed to try to enforce the Johnson Amendment, which says that organizations that take advantage of 501c3 tax rules so they don't have to pay tax on, anything, on any income are not allowed to. To benefit from that by taking positions in political races, just a whole lot going on in that. And stay and should we go on to state local and start well, out with election? What, what, what I'm
0: trying to get us to do, and uh, what I want to try to get us to do, is think about where we can add value, where there's analysis and/or context, historical or current, that we can offer. And so, when there's a piece of election news, what's the piece of election news that actually is worth us talking about? Any of those that you think is worth talking about, Pop?
1: Yes. I think that we it is worth talking about <laughs> really really worth talking about is what is happening in our mayor's race and the the Ted has hired now his third campaign director and do you i, I hope I'm hoping you might know something more about Dan O'Halloran than I do and which all I know is is that his last two political gigs have been running the campaign of a New York congressional candidate and working for the Cory Booker presidential campaign which does not strike me as giving you a whole lot of of Oregon let alone Portland roots do you do you know anything more about him or is not he he's just, in is he just of, a carpetbagger that's been imported
0: well i i'm not going i don't need to criticize the guy i do what i know about him i don't know if he has any Oregon roots what i know is that he is a campaign professional that has been brought here to work on the mayor's race, and he is not his, the mayor's uh, first campaign manager. Uh, and it's not you know it's not the craziest thing. Bill Bradbury ran for the U.S. Senate. He had a campaign manager not from out here. There's not... See, part of the challenge... This is actually... Yeah, it is worth talking about, because one of the things that happens, uh, one of the big challenges of campaign of a campaign political economy is that campaigns are short-term. Now, I know I didn't just say anything. They'll be longer-term there they are in other countries, but they're short-term and relative to jobs. So it can actually be a pretty highly paid gig if you're running a bid campaign, but that only that you might only have that job for six months, and then you got to find something to do afterwards. So very often, what happens is the very best campaign workers realize, well, okay, I'll do campaigns, but they're you know doing seventy-hour weeks, and then figuring out what you're going to do for the other twelve to eighteen months. That's, that's a tough lifestyle. There's not many people who could do that for that long. So typically, the, the gifted campaign worker has to find something else to do. And so very often what they do is, if they're if they're a Republican campaign worker, they go and become a corporate lobbyist or work for some sort of uh, corporate firm. Some of that happens on the Democratic side, too. In this city and in this state, that's particularly happened with, let's say, like uh, with electricity companies, energy companies, Pacific Northwest, or Pacific, uh, 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 Pacific Core, uh, Northwest Natural Gas, uh, PGE have you know a bunch of former you know Goldschmidt and Wyden and uh, and, and Hatfield staffers etc. Uh, and then in and sometimes in activist groups, a- advocacy groups, particularly labor unions, which have a bunch of jobs. So very often the best campaign workers end up then become you know, go to work for SCIU, AFSCME, OEA, uh, and that ends and, and therefore they've got a gig. And one says, hey, do you want to now that you have a forty-hour a week job? that pays you benefits would you like to do a 70 hour a week job sacrifice that one and do all that work you got tired of doing in your 20s and 30s and it's a real problem so it's not a rare thing i mean heck kit hired an out-of-state uh, when he was running his reelect, or i guess his you know comeback re-elect he hired an out-of-state campaign manager so that's not that strange it happens a bunch but no to my knowledge dan o'halloran doesn't have a bunch of oregon roots i could be
1: wrong Local election-related, related news, and and uh, but more more important, COVID-related news. A couple of things I think are worth talking about. One, and I'd be interested in your, in your opinion as a constitutional scholar, you remember that a couple of weeks ago, Judge Simon entered a, a an order saying that journalists should be not be subject to police orders to move when police orders move and the journalists want to stick around to take pictures to write write the story and a three judge panel the Ninth Circuit has suspended and it raises the really interesting question as to whether or not journalists should be given some sort of special privilege or special exemption against having to follow police orders to move out regardless of the reason for the police orders. And if they should, what if any limits there should be upon it, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts.
0: Pop, I did not prepare an answer for that question, so start with your that, thoughts.
1: That, that's, that's why I talked so long about it so you would have time to think.
0: That was that was me saying, please, Dad, you talk first.
1: <laughs> I, I, am, I am really ambivalent about it because the first, the first problem is who gets to decide whether or not a person is a journalist? Can a person just declare himself or herself a journalist? And therefore, they have the, have the right to stand fast when the police are telling everybody else to clear out? Uh, should there be some sort of accreditation which says, the, so, so they get an insignia, yeah, you are an approved journalist, and if so, who gets to decide who is accredited? What what bureau gets to say whether or not? If if you're from Fox News, yes. But if you're from CNN or MSNBC, no. Or you know, how about from Willamette Week? Or how about from the Podunk Piffle, which nobody has ever heard about? It, uh, it does. I'm, it, I'm, I'm I'm
0: torn. And it is a tough question. So to me, it underscores the challenge of trying to stop the protests entirely. Now, by the way, if I were the lead strategist for protests, I'd say let's do them during the day when media can watch them, when more people can participate, when the people with motives for social change outnumber the people whose motives are something other than that, when people's judgments are better. We know from science that after midnight, people's judgment just gets worse. Everybody's judgment just gets a little bit of worse and young people in particular. So I think all of those things. But as soon as you start trying to crack down generally, as soon as you try to shut down protests entirely, you run into this, well, what about people that are really there for freedom of speech? So I, to me, Dad, the conundrum is not only what do you do about journalists, to me the conundrum is what do you do generally if what you're trying to do is shut down protests. But go ahead, what's your next thing?
1: Yes, that, that of course is is very legitimate, and, and that reminds me that, that uh, DDT has declared that we... That we are an anarchist city, and uh, is wants the DOJ to put the uh, city f- parents in jail for not doing something about it. The uh, and it it once again comes to, to what do we do about the 100 to 200 then
0: that, that, that just you know that whatever whatever just happened right now with your phone or with your mouth or whatever that's the thing that happens with the sound it just happened again.
1: That's really weird. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. because because I, I do hear a dead moment, and, and it happens when I haven't done anything.
0: Yeah. Anyway,
1: keep going. Okay. So so anyway, there there has got to be a way to winnow out these vandals who think that uh, this is an excuse to break windows and an excuse to throw rocks and an excuse to throw bottles and an excuse to to trash property simply i think a lot of them because they get a joy out of doing that and they hate the establishment and they could care less they could care less about racial justice that's not what that's not what those those white kids are doing the, the, somehow, somehow we've got to be able to win those out, but, but, but also it's very important that the public be informed about what's going on, and the public can't be informed on what's going on unless there are journalists on site able to continue to take pictures and take recordings and write notes about what's happening.
0: Yeah, we got a text in. To, I think it was from Joe Pesci. Have you read the article in The Atlantic by Barton Gellman, The Election That Could Break America?
1: Yes, uh, I read it last night.
0: Yeah, so I've read it as well. I, I agree with the comment. Well, here's the, the texter goes on to say, I'm deeply concerned about the silence of Republicans about Trump's comments yesterday, as are we all. Uh, who will stop him? So, that for people who haven't read the Gellman piece, break it down quickly.
1: Well, it, it it just what what I've already referred to. One of the things that all of the things that could be done to throw into the court or to keep out of the election counting to run run the election into January, where where potentially a Supreme Court could say, well, yeah, we do see that there are problems here, and therefore. We're not going to the electoral, whatever the Electoral College did doesn't matter. And it goes into the, goes into Congress, goes into the House of Representatives, where, and, and this is a question of fact that maybe Petra could look up for us, where no matter what happens with the election, I am afraid, I'm afraid that there still might be a majority of the states that have a Republican majority in their congressional delegation, and if that's the case, the House could, because the vote in the House is not per capita, but it is per state, could say that because the, there was not an enforceable vote by the Electoral College, DDT is going to be president for four more years
0: there also is the Atlantic also had a Q&A with Bart Gellman, and the uh, where he makes it pretty plain uh, the question came from Caroline Mims nice so what happens if President Trump refuses to concede the election Bart Gellman's response I don't think it is a question of if Unless Trump scores a legitimate win in the Electoral College, everything we know about him says he will refuse to accept the feat and use every tool at his disposal to undo the result. It, it, this is, to me, not the hand-wringing and clenching of pearls. This, to me, is my prediction. And I think it's becoming, it's Bart Gellman's prediction, I think it's more people's prediction, that it's the, the only chance, I, I do hold out hope, I must admit, that if Biden can win by 8 points and, you know, 150 electoral votes, and that if, if it is a landslide, then maybe that uh, makes it clear enough it goes back to i mean the new york times reporter who was looking at the instance when uh, trump had the military uh, spray tear gas in washington dc so that he could hold a bible upside down that that oh by the
1: by the way apparently the bible wasn't upside down we should stop saying that
0: Holding a Bible right side up, that okay. and I don't care if it's right side up or upside down. I'm just trying to remember the visual scene. That I'm trying to help people remember the visual scene. That Trump was uh, was doing a warm-up act. Right, this was a practice for what would happen after. That much of what's happening now with quelling protesters. And in fact, if I want to, I'm going to set my tinfoil hat on top for the. Uh, for the trolls that are trying to worsen the protest, for the trolls who are infiltrating protests and getting them to do dumber stuff and to try to prioritize late night dumb activities rather than prioritize activities that will y- yield people, generate people who want to follow them, that you can view this as a, as kabuki theater, as a as a little play that justifies in the authoritarian's mind and in anybody who might be willing to support that authoritarian to quell those rebellions with police force and that all of this is a warm-up act for what happens in November after the election. I think so much, so many of us still, and I'm trying to say this to remind myself that this can be a this can feel like a reality show. this there's just something we watch, not something we're participating in. But as I said in 2016, what I said in 2017 is how do empires end and how do democracies end and how to author- how do authoritarian regimes rise? Uh, this feels like so close to the playbook. So yeah, we read Barton Gelman's piece. What do we do about it? Well, I'll pass along, I'll pass along uh, what my wife said is we have to be ready for a general strike, not advocating for that, but, uh, but I am saying the, uh, that, that that is uh, that ultimately, we have to be prepared to do more than we ever thought we would if we want to protect democracy. The thing I said, and and Emily Gilliland was, and I wasn't trying to, I don't know, I wasn't trying to alarm anybody when I said it, but I said, imagine if you were in Germany in the early 1930s. Imagine if you're in Germany in the late 1920s. What do you wish you would have done? When you think about those Germans who were not members of the Nazi Party and you say, well, what were they doing? Why Why didn't they stop this? What do you wish they would have done?
1: something.
0: And that's what we and whatever you think your answer to that question is, translate that 80 years, 90 years later. That's what we have to do now. We got another text. Hi Jefferson of police etc are so worried about official credentials, identification, uniforms to identify journalists during the protest. Why doesn't the same standard hold true for guys in trucks from Washington body armed with AR15? With AR15s. Love your show. Thanks. Oh, I okay, I got it. there there are at least at least two hypotheses. At least two. Dad, do you want to take a crack at that? uh, do you want to take, or do you want me to answer? Well,
1: whenever this subject comes up, I am reminded of something that I heard from G. Homer Durham, who was the vice president of the University of Utah when I attended the University of Utah, and who insisted when he was elevated to the vice presidency that he should be allowed to teach one class every year, and I was privileged to take that class. And he told about his experience having been in Germany in the thirties when Hitler was on the rise, and, and on more than one occasion, being in the home of, of educated middle-class, upper-middle-class Germans, and asked about what do they think about this guy, Hitler, and they said oh we don't involve ourselves in politics. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The uh, I will I will attempt to answer that question. Why doesn't the same standard hold true for guys in trucks from Washington body armor with AR-15s? Now there are a couple hypotheses. One is that uh, and I don't believe they're mutually exclusive, that there is a white supremacist strain in the power apparatus in this country. We have to come to grips with that. And it goes... Yes, by the
1: way, by the way, there's this coming to Delta Park day after tomorrow.
0: And that is... And that's something we just got to come to grips with. I mean, back in the... in the, It wasn't... And we're, I'm not just talking about like Bull Connor. I'm not just talking about the Deep South. I'm talking about Portland, Oregon. I'm talking about in my lifetime. I'm talking about Burger Barn in the early 1980s where police officers left dead possums on the porch of a black-owned business. Not because they'd committed a crime or anything. Just because, I don't know, they and their buddies thought it'd be kind of funny.
1: Yep. The, uh, and, and when, when a, a black man was killed by a police officer by a chokehold, and they made a big thing and said, okay, we can't choke him, then smoke them.
0: The other hypothesis, and this is one that I think is equally as powerful, that in fact guns do matter that guns do that i mean think about ruby ridge think about the times there have been shootouts think about it, if you show up at a protest with a bunch of guns just cuz someone's a police officer and they have a gun also doesn't mean they want to engage with somebody with a gun and actually risk a shootout that i do think the guns matter that i do think when we had why am i forgetting their names the guys the the folks in oregon occupied the uh, um Oh, come on, Dad. It was famous, and I'm now big, big dum-dum for not remembering their names. Uh, the people who occupied the federal building, uh, occupied the, uh, um, oh, it was the big case, Dad. Come on, the the people from out of state who then were trying to occupy public lands.
1: Well, you're, talk, you're talking about wh- where there was an occupation? Yeah. Well, there, there have been various occupations. No, no, the
0: what? one just recently, the one just like three years ago, two years ago. It was in all. It, we talked about it every darn day.
1: Oh, oh! You're talking about you're talking about uh, the the Malheur, Malheur. Thank you.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, yes. What was the, what were those people's names?
1: What there was a, oh oh Bundys.
0: The Bundys. Thank you. So when the Bundys showed up with guns, I think that did deter. It was you know that we had we white supremacy in the police in the police department. It did deter So like, well. Are we going to go out and you know clear these folks? Well, there might be a shootout. But here's the other here's the other that I think is uh, uh, the other hypothesis I have to answer that question. I think it's a brilliant question, uh, and that is that when we have, and this is where I think, uh, where I think race, one of the ways that racism takes hold. If you see someone, if a white person, if a white law enforcement officer sees a white male with a gun, that gives them a different impression than when they see some young protester with something in their hand that is less dangerous than a gun. And there is a respect that comes there's like oh well that person's sort of closer to my tribe that is a white male with a gun so it's not like oh i'm on the side of white supremacists i want to kill black people that's not i'm not saying that's what's going through an officer's name but they see that person they say oh that person they probably received gun training like i did they have a gun like i do they look a little bit like i look there's somebody who is you know values some of the things i value and then they see somebody else who's you know, maybe wearing a mask instead, maybe holding a water bottle instead of a gun, maybe a can of soup and look at that person. They do not relate to that person. They do not believe that person is on their side. They don't think of that person as gone through any of the same life experiences they go through and they don't value the humanity in quite the same way. So I think all of those things And if that person is a person of color, then add that to the story and maybe even put it as the first line. So I think there is all I think all of that is going on. That is my attempt to answer the question. We appreciate it. Here's another text. Got a lot this morning. We really appreciate it. It Seems like progressives should be protecting polling places by guarding them with large numbers of open carry voting protectors, handing out refreshments to those waiting to vote, musicians to entertain, make a fun event for everybody waiting. In swing districts, of course. My only quibble is in the swing districts, or my primary quibble, quibble. Yes, in swing districts. Also, in blue districts within swing states, uh, that very often what really happens is in a state like heck, in a state that has like any southern state, certainly, but almost any state, but uh, well Michigan, let's use Michigan, that turnout in Detroit is a big matter for how the state goes, whether the state is a red, purple, or blue state. Not just what happens in the swing districts of Michigan, but what happens in Detroit in Michigan impacts. Okay, how it's a purple state. Bob, any other important story before we do a straw in the news? Straw in the news, straw in the
1: news. Also, I'm going to warn you that I'm going to be interested in your opinion on this one. Thank you for the warning. I
0: appreciate that That as a nice favor.
1: uh, uh, John DiLorenzo, Dilo, the the great right wing lawyer, has brought a case under ORS 401.92. 401.92 is the law that authorizes the governor to declare an emergency and to shut things down and which which of course she that she's done and he's brought a he's he a case on behalf of three retailers or entrepreneurs who, who provide services directly to the public alleging that that shutdown is a taking under the constitution that therefore they have to be compensated for and if, if the court winds up ruling yes on that one, Katie, bar the door this is dangerous. on how much money it's going to cost the state.
0: This is dangerous. So uh, people understand takings, right? Uh, and we talked about this briefly on the local. People understand takings, I think, at least basically. So if, And it's a good thing, right? It's, if, they, if the government says, I want to build this road, And in order to build this road, we're going to have to do it down this path. I'm going to blow out those three houses. They don't just don't blow out those three houses. They got to say, we're going to pay you fair market value for those three houses. That is all settled. There's not a legitimate controversy about that. You know, anybody sensible, roughly speaking, agrees with that. But what happens if instead of taking the thing, they just pass a regulation that changes how you can use the thing? So they say, okay, in this land, let's call it zoning laws. Let's call it. Well, you're not allowed to. Uh, you're not allowed to hang power lines in this place because those power lines will get in the way of whatever. Is that also a taking? Is that the same thing as knocking down your home? Now the problem is, if you take regulatory takings to their extreme, not even all the way to their extreme, it makes it very, very hard for governments to do much of anything, and. My concern about this... DiLorenzo's smart, by the way. He used to be chief counsel of the Oregon Republican Party, and he's a smart dude, and he loves suing the government, particularly, particularly blue-led governments. It's like its favorite thing. And he... And I think what he sees is the coming Supreme Court. I think what he sees is not just this case, but is a chance to try to advance the doctrine of regulatory takings. So it's not just a physical taking, but if you do something that impacts somebody's property rights, and this gets back to the fundamental argument in this country since prior to the civil war this does get back to john c calhoun it does get back to the ideas what has primacy ownership of property that comes from the king or the will of the people which thing governs is it property or humanity that's the fight it's been the fight since the magna carta and now i think he is waging that fight and if he wins it doesn't just mean huge costs or, you know, it's like, and, and by the way, this impacts my desire ever to go to Wilsonville Fund Center, which is one of the plaintiffs in the case. Uh, the other is some, a couple of business I probably wouldn't, I wonder, I think a beauty parlor I probably never would go to anyhow. But the, but the Wilsonville Fund Center always looked pretty fun. Now I know what they're trying to do is fundamentally transform the relationship between, relationship between people and their government in a direction that would make it harder for us to do things that support the general welfare and public health. So, Dad, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. It worries me.
1: Okay, is it time for a straw? I think it is. Like a straw in the wind. I have two straws. First, in Israel, in Israel, Israel is is putting in Tel Aviv, putting down a half a kilometer of road that charges buses that that will recharge electric buses so the bus can just drive down that stretch of road and get recharged so it can continue to go on and if that works, they're going to put in lots of them and the other one, for all of you folks out there who are games people Microsoft has bought Zen Zeni Max Media and Bethesda for 7 plus billion dollars so Microsoft is getting big into the game business.
0: The game business is big business. Well, Dad, we did it one more time.
1: We did it indeed. We'll be back on Monday. Love you, lad. Love you, too.